and welcome you back this evening and appreciate you all being here. I know many of you are here for the awards reception and several will join us later on for that as well. So we do welcome you here and as has already been said, we do wish the awards farewell and God's best to them as they begin this new chapter for them. On Sunday nights, we are talking about God's amazing grace, and uh, you probably, most of you would know or be familiar with the idea that we're talking about really looking at individual scriptures and stories within the Old Testament. Eventually, we'll get to the new of how grace was personified and shown to his people. And uh, so tonight, we're thinking about uh, this, and we're going to be in the book of Psalms, and if you could pull up the notes on the slides, that'd be very helpful. Otherwise, it's going to be a really short sermon. We'll get right to the party. If you think about all of God's creation, I can hardly think of a single part of God's creation that is not full of variety. Think about trees. I have a couple of lots of trees outside my office. There's pine trees and oak trees and walnut trees and cherry trees and apple trees and maple trees and and all sorts of varieties of woods that God caused to come out of the ground. I remember my grandfather was a, a woodworker and he was so talented in this regard. Was, I thought it was almost a superpower. He could look at a board and tell me what kind of board it was. I always thought every kind of board was oak. I'd say, Grandpa, is that oak? No, that's ash. Is that oak? No, that's Jerry. And he, had, he had all those recognized because he worked with it so much. Think about the flowers. If you're a botanist or somebody who just likes flowers, think about all the different kinds. There's lilies and daffodils and roses and daisies and orchids and tulips. All different types of beauty and variety within the flowers that God made. All different colors and, and designs that God made. And Jesus himself said that, that even Solomon was not clothed like one of those. Those flowers that, that spring up every Every season and then are gone. And God creates variety in that, in that, in the flowers. <clears throat> you think of the animals, the lions and the tigers and the bears. Alright, trying to see how fast you were, how much you're paying attention. The bears and the dogs and the cats and the wolves and the foxes and the gorillas and the zebras. All of the animals and the variety and the, the, the functions and the abilities and the beauty and the majesty of all the different animals in the world. It's really cool. Part of our vacation, we got to go to Tanganyika, which is a really cool uh, wildlife place here in, here in town. If you haven't been, I'd highly encourage you to go. You get to get right up front, up close and personal, and to feed those animals, look at them, and see little babies. And it's just really, really cool when you think about how God made all that and the variety that he put into so much of his creation. Grace wanted to go fishing. She'd been asking me for a while, so I went and bought her a little pole thinking, you know, this will be a, a pretty quick lesson. Go get a little cheap pole and tackle from, from Walmart. Come home, get that all set up. Now, I'm not a fisherman myself. I don't know much about it. You know, just basically what I hear from Roy Helm, and apparently they're all this big. So anyway, I get all that hooked up, and I go out <clears throat> in the water. Grace, take her out there, and I'm thinking, this is going to where she learns the hard lesson, right? Because she's going to cast, and then she's going to have to do what's nearly impossible for all seven-year-olds to do, and that is to wait. She's casting. She's just fine. She's just happy, perfectly content. After about 30 minutes, you know, she caught a catfish. I don't don't even know there were catfish in this water. But sure enough, she was so excited. So we reeled that baby in, and she was looking at it. And, of course, she didn't want to touch it. But (laughs) um, you think about all the fish that God put in the seas, catfish and bluegill and striper, trout and Swordfish and sharks and whales and minnows. From the, from the least to the greatest, God made them all. 
Isn't that amazing that he did it? When you really stop and think about the variety within nature, it's quite amazing, even among human beings. Even here tonight, we have old and young. We have those with brown eyes and blue eyes, those with light skin and those with dark skin, those who uh, have been through a lot in this world, those who are just getting started in this world. There's a lot of variety. Those with facial hair, those with the inability to grow facial hair, those with hair, those with no hair. God made variety among his people. Isn't that cool that God did that? I always think about how amazing it is. When you look at all of nature, all of creation, how, God, how much God created and how different all of it is from even one to another. And yet when it comes right down to it, there is, when it comes to life and how you live it, not a great deal of variety. Oh, people can choose to live in different ways, but when it comes right down to it, there's two ways to live. Yes, God creates a lot of variety and differences in his created order, but when it comes down to how he calls us to live, there's basically one of two ways to do it, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we're going to be looking at the very first one, the introductory psalm. This psalm sets up really the stage for the entire book of Psalms. When I used to teach Psalms to the teenagers, I said this book of Psalms is a, such a beautiful, you know, a lot of kids like music and they have their own personal playlists and they have a multitude of playlists on, used to be their phone, now it's on Spotify or whatever. But now you, you're, if you think of this as God's holy playlist, it was the songs of God's people and, and what they poured out to him and not just the songs of praise, but songs of times of hardship and struggle and difficulty. And, and when you think of the variety of all the Psalms, what's cool about Psalm chapter one is it says, There's a lot of variety, but there's basically two kinds of people. There's two ways to live. Let's read. If you're in Psalm chapter 1, follow along, please. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see, there are lots of different types of psalms, just as all their sorts of different creative things. There's many different psalms, from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. You're going to have psalms of prayer and psalms of uh, ascent and psalms of lament and psalms of wisdom and psalms of thanksgiving, and all of that is really good. And there's a great treasure trove right here in the middle of your Bible. But as you begin the book of Psalms, it's very important to understand that when it comes right down to it, There's just two ways to live and two types of people who make that choice. When you think about God's holy playlist, the songs of his people, how you hear those songs and certainly how you sing those songs depends largely on which type of person you choose to be. You see, God's done everything under heaven to get you into heaven, but there's one thing he will not do, and that is to force your free will. He leaves that choice up to you, and the choice is spelled out very clearly in Psalm chapter 1. And though it was written many centuries ago, those two basic ways are this. 
God's way or every other way. I realize the world tries to make the argument and has for a long time. There's many roads that lead to heaven and, and that you can really do whatever makes you feel good. But the Bible does not spell it out that way. The Bible is very clear that there's one or two ways to do it. You can do it as God wants you to do, or you can do it as you want to do. So let's take a look at this well-known psalm, Psalm chapter 1, in a little more detail tonight. The first way is the way of the righteous. He says in verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. The first attribute, the first characteristic of the people who live in God's way is that they care very little about what everyone else thinks. They care only, primarily, first of all, with what God thinks. And that's important. This age group has a tremendous temptation, a difficulty with, with understanding the, the here's what everyone else is doing, here's what I'm doing, and should I do those two, should I do what the crowd is doing? Or should I do my own thing? It's hard. Can I tell you some bad news? It doesn't get any easier. We all, the rest of us, we just get better at hiding it. You see, your neighbor will pull in exactly the same house that you have, but he'll pull in with a nicer truck than you have. I know. Hard, isn't it, Neil? Hard to imagine, right? And your heart starts to beat a little faster, and you think, man, I wish I could have what that guy has. I wish I could be like that guy. There's so many ways in the world in which we hide it. When you, when you get children and you're on social media, you'll figure out exactly how far ahead everyone else's child is ahead of yours. And you'll just think, man, I just can't, you know, my kid's not playing Major League Baseball at age eight. I've, uh, I've lost all purpose in life. I can't do it. The peer pressure never stops. He continues to work. But see, if you're a godly person... You begin to not care about what everyone else thinks. When you go to your 20-year high school reunion, you'll realize that it never really mattered that much anyway. Now, your tenure, that's a different story. We're still comparing at the 10-year mark. But godly people don't care very much about what everybody else is doing, saying, or thinking. They only care primarily with what God says. You know, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, or walk in the way of sinners. So how do we do that? I mean, that sounds good, right? But how do we do that? How, how do godly people walk in a, in a world that is, and live in a world that is ungodly? How do we do that? It's easier for the preacher to preach it, but he doesn't have to live in the real world, you understand. He lives in a nice little secluded church office where he doesn't have to realize the difficulties and the struggles and the pressure that comes from everyone else, from the conventional wisdom. Jesus alluded to this when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the world. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except 
to be trampled underfoot. How do we how do we make an influence in the world? How do godly people make an influence in the world? It has something to do with understanding who we are and who we belong to and not caring so much about the, what the world says and does. I think, principally, it also comes back to this idea they have to know who they are. How was Noah able to avoid the ungodliness of his generation when he was literally the only man and family that was still deemed righteous by God? How was he able to do that? So, well, Noah didn't have Instagram and Facebook and Netflix. He didn't didn't have to deal with all this stuff. We had, you know, come on, really. It's that, that idea has, I realize he didn't have the methods, but he certainly would have had the temptations. It comes down to this. He didn't just not care what everybody else thinks. He knew who God was, and he understood who God called him to be. That's the difference. He understood who he was and who God called him to be. I realize, not in Psalm, but turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, right toward the end of the New Testament. Peter challenges the church of his generation in this way. And I think it's a good challenge for us. First Peter 2, 9 and following. But you, I see that but is that, tells us there's a change in direction there. And you read about all the ungodliness that was happening before. But he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The blessed people understand that these adjectives Chosen, royal, holy, describe not just God, but God's people and who God calls his people to be. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, if you're in Christ, you are a child of the light. Let us live in such a way. You're called to be chosen and holy and royal in your conduct and in your thought. When you understand not just who God is, but who you are, I'm I'm convinced it makes a real difference in how you treat yourself. The old King James used to use the word peculiar. We are to be a peculiar people, which a peculiar is an unusual word and it's a hard word to say, so I'm going to stop saying it. But a, be to be a peculiar people. What does that mean? The Christians are supposed to be weird? I can testify there are a lot of weird Christians. But that is not what it's talking about here. Uh, weird in the sense of maybe of, of different and unusual... But they are, another word might be special, a, a prized possession. The, the NIV says God's, uh, God's special possession. Think about it like this. Um, a few years ago, I got into buying silver because I couldn't afford gold. And um, silver was at $48 an ounce. And everyone under the sun knew it was going to 100 Good investment, right? Laughable if you know what silver is worth today. Not $48, by the way. So I I went several times to Phil's coin shop. And in Phil's coin shop, he had lots of silver, but different kinds. He had kind of a, 
a spot he called the junk silver. Now it was still silver, it was still worth just as much. But then he had special, almost peculiar, right, I told you I wasn't going to say it, and there's why. These specially prized possessions. He pulled me out a collection of half dollars, of all of them, pure silver from 1947. Somebody had put them in a book. That was a special possession. It was really cool. And it was worth more than just all the other silver because it was all of them together. They were special and unique. God's people, people who live according to the, the first way, understand that they're different in a good way. Okay, I'll share this. I tell my seven-year-old daughter, I have kind of a mantra with her. I tell her that she's beautiful, that she's smart, that she's intelligent, that she's thoughtful, that she's kind. And I, I have this whole list of attributes that I tell her many times. Why do I do that? Because I'm worried about her at age seven, not thinking that she's beautiful or thoughtful or kind or any of that. No, no, no. Now, I'm preparing her for when she's 17. Now, seriously. I have to be building this foundation within her mind of her identity. So when some dude, some punk kid comes to her at age 17 and asks her to compromise herself for any less than she is, she'll refuse almost instinctively because she knows she's pretty and beautiful and smart and kind and godly and a special possession. Do you understand? When she understands that, I don't have to worry about much else. Same with Tyler. We have to tell them who they are and remind them of who they are. So that's sort of my job, not just as their dad, but as your preacher, is to remind you all again and again of who you are in Christ. So that you're reminded when you're tempted to compromise to sin, like old Esau, to sell your birthright for a bowl of stew, that you don't do it. Because you understand that you're holy and chosen and royal and God's special possession. And why on earth would you sell yourself for anything less than him? God's people, the people of way number one, understand that they are gods. And because they are gods, they are precious. And they're worth a great deal. So how can we know... Our true value. We'll go back to Psalm chapter 1. The true value of Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, tells us this. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Righteous people, not only are they not deeply concerned with what everyone else does... But they are deeply connected to God. If you look at verse 2 and the words there, delight and day and night. This doesn't sound like a person who's like, oh man, what's the Bible reading plan for today? Day 307, okay. All right, here we are, First Chronicles. All right, that's done. Ah, this is someone who's, who, who comes to the Word of God with a desire and a hunger in their heart 
not to know the book, but to know the author. When we read God's word and we pour ourselves into it as we pour over his holy word, we allow him to pour himself into us. Turn up about midway through Psalm. Psalm chapter 119. I'm sorry, not midway, but you know, two-thirds of the way there. Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 starts in the same way that Psalm chapter 1 does. Blessed. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to how they feel. No. To what the world tells them. No. To what they want to do. Uh Uh-uh. They walk according to your word. According to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek And seek what? Him. With all their heart. And many people say, I wish I could hear from God. I wish I could just, I wish I just knew what he wanted me to do. Okay, start by opening this book. Because that's how you hear from him. Now, can God reveal himself in other ways? Certainly. But we have a book that he wrote down for our benefit. So that we might seek him with all our heart. They do no wrong, but they follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous law. The, The purpose... Of knowing his word, of delighting in his word, of meditating on it day and night, is not because we show ourselves so amazing by having God's word memorized and show ourselves to be some sort of spiritual Pharisee, but rather so that we might know him who loves us and who created us. What is the result of verse 1 and verse 2? What's the result of such a life? This way is the blessed way. Turn back to Psalm chapter 1. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We've got this beautiful, powerful picture of a tree. This, he says it's like the tree, okay? A tree that's not easily torn down or annihilated, but planted, Some of you remember many few years ago on Easter weekend. I know you remember it because it was hard to get to church that day. And it's not because Meridian was packed full of cars. It's because there were power lines all down Meridian. And as you pulled in the parking lot, some of the trees were down. Now, that would have been helpful if all those trees would have been blown down, but that's beside the point. What I learned from that is when those trees came down... All those trees out there look pretty much the same above the surface. About the same height, same type of tree. But when the winds come, when the storms come, there are certain ones who stand firm. And there are certain ones who get pulled right out of the ground. Why? What's the difference? Well, the difference, of course, is the roots. Some have their, are rooted way down. And some are just on the surface. Just kind of shallow. When the wind and the storms have come through in your life, how have you held up? Do your roots 
hang on? Or do you find yourself in shallow soil? May our roots be down deep. Psalm 18 says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In addition to the roots, the second thing is a constant provision. The, the blessed tree, you know, because it got those roots out, it's continually supplied. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I was thinking about this when I went to go visit Suzanne Dirks. If you know Suzanne's story, there's a woman who's been through a lot. A lot. I'm not sure maybe if there's been a time in her life when the wind and the storms weren't blowing. But this tiny, frail woman who has been through so much. If we could get a spiritual picture of her, we'd see that one right there. Just a, just a mighty powerful tree. I went in to pray with her. And after we prayed, she said, would you mind praying for my niece? That's powerful. In a moment of just suffering and just having been to the hospital again and again. And she's, so many people have said, woe is me. Why, God, why? And the righteous people say, there's other people we can pray for too. That's powerful. How does she do that? The answer is her roots are deep and that supplies not just Anchor in the storm, it provides constant nourishment for the soul. Her roots are in bedrock. And the third thing is that God's blessed tree is productive. It's fruitful. It bears fruit in season and out of season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I'm convinced... That Jesus, you remember the story of, of the fig tree? And he cursed it, and they came back, and they're like, whoa, it's dead. But what lesson do we learn from that weird story? Maybe that Jesus doesn't have a lot of patience for trees that don't bear fruit. Because the purpose of the tree is to be productive, to be fruitful. And, and the, the one with the roots way down deep bears much fruit. If you're rooted in Christ... You will bear much fruit. No, not apples and oranges and peaches. You'll bear fruit like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So, let's look very quickly, because the psalm doesn't spend a lot of time on this way. But if we think about the blessed way, what's the alternative? I said there's two ways to live. Way number one is the blessed way. Way number two is... The way of the wicked. Verse 4 through 6. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, this does not say that wicked people will not be successful, that wicked people will not have wealth, that wicked people will not be popular, that wicked people will not be successful in this world. There are many wicked people who, by worldly standards, are successful. The psalm says that the way of the wicked will be brief, unlasting, not permanent, temporary. If the the blessed way has a sense of permanency and lastingness to it, the way of the wicked is quite the opposite, like chaff. And this is the old-fashioned way of separating the wheat from the chaff. As we were driving out on our staycation, we saw a combine and... It was harvesting the grain, and out the back of it came the chaff, the unnecessary, unuseful, unproductive, unfruitful part of the harvest. The psalmist says the wicked are going to be like that. Those who choose their own way can choose their own way. They absolutely can. But there's coming a day of separation between the wheat and the chaff, between the grain and that which is unproductive. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Turn here because this is no doubt, I think, a reference to Psalm chapter 1 from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 3. I said of Jesus himself, referring to Jesus, but written by Matthew. I baptize you, speaking of John the Baptist, with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is a day of judgment, a day of separation coming, and may we not forget. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, <clears throat> Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The Bible is quite clear of such a day. And then he says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what type of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you see it's coming. May we not forget that there is a judgment day coming, a separation between the wheat and the chaff, between the righteous and the unrighteous. So how do we get On the right path. Here's the answer. We have to seek the right way. Jesus, of course, is the only way. I realize not politically correct, but Jesus himself was not a politically correct guy. I am the way, he said. He didn't say I am a way, which, by the way, is a very clear dividing line. I mean, if if Jesus was wrong about that, then he wasn't the way. But if he is right about that, then he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. So the final question is, which way will you choose between these two very distinct and separate ways of living? You get to choose. And here's the cool thing. In this world, neither of those choices is permanent. What I mean is, you can say, I want to live in the right way. I want to do the blessed thing. I want to live as God calls me to live. But you can wander away from that. And go back over here to the wicked way. And in this, the alternate way, you can go in the way of the wicked. You can start down that path, live in a wicked way, and change and turn your heart. The Bible word from that is to repent. And you can turn back to God. See, there's no permanent decision until judgment day. So, twofold question then. What way will you choose and what way are you in now? My invitation is for you. One, if you have chosen the wicked way, you can repent. You can turn back. God always allows U-turns. And if you've chosen the way of Christ, that's good. Stay in that way. Don't give up. And if you've chosen that way but you've wandered from it and you need to repent, we can help you. Tonight, if you're ready to repent and turn back to Christ, or if you're ready to turn to Christ for the first time, first time ever in belief, in faith, in baptism, we can do that tonight. And we've got a party planned. But if you'll turn and repent, there's a bigger party going on in heaven. May we not forget which way we're living in, and may we stay steadfast in it. If you're ready to turn to Christ or to turn back to Christ, won't you join me down front? And we'd be glad to pray with you and encourage you and help you in any way we can. Please come as together we stand and sing.